This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com. Before I introduce today's guest, a quick word about money. I am happy to announce that I have just set up an account with Patreon, which if you are not familiar with it, as I was not until about two weeks ago, it's a platform for generating subscriptions, uh, patrons for your art. And artists use this, musicians use this, and some podcasters and vloggers are starting to use it as well, and I jumped on board. And you will see, if you go to plantyourself.com and you look on the right sidebar, you'll see a beautiful button. I believe it's sort of red. And it says uh, something about uh, support us on Patreon. And you can go there and you can pledge a monthly amount, as low as a dollar a month and as high as $72 a month. And your contribution will help me continue to produce and host this podcast. So if you find it valuable and you are looking for a way to help out, to give back, this is an excellent one. So you can just click on that Patreon button and head over to that site and do your business. If you just want to make a one-time contribution, you can do that via the PayPal button, the donate button just below it. And when you support the podcast financially, if you like, I will thank you personally in the show notes and in the introduction. So for example, this week, big thanks to Plant Yourself podcast patrons, Ruthann Funderburk and Dominic Mara for their generous contributions to the cause. So I'm saving up for a DBX-286S compressor gate that will eliminate a lot of background noise. So every time you listen to the podcast and you don't hear rain on the tin roof of my office, you can thank Ruth Ann and Dominic. All right, enough about money, let's talk about health. So y'all know there are plant-based doctors, for lack of a better term, there are doctors you can go to who understand the importance of plant-based nutrition, who understand prevention rather than treatment after the fact, who understand lifestyle medicine as opposed to just pharmaceutical medicine. But of course you know that the vast majority of doctors out there are not that way. So it got me thinking, where else in medicine might this be the case? Are there other fields in which there is evidence-based practice that deals with root causes, but everybody else is pretty much chasing symptoms because of either the profit motive or outmoded ideas or a poor education system for practitioners. And then I met Eileen Kapsaftis. Eileen is a physical therapist, and I discovered from Eileen that physical therapy is very much like medicine in that there are things that work and a lot of things that don't work, and the things that don't work tend to focus on symptoms as opposed to root causes. And as befits a guest on the Plant Yourself podcast, Eileen also heavily relies upon plant-based nutrition to treat chronic back pain, neck pain, and various other aches and pains in the body. And this is pretty much unheard of in the physical therapy community. Uh, they'll do, you know, cold packs and uh, manipulations and exercises, but rarely will someone connect the circulatory health of our body with the health of our bones and joints. Eileen and I got together at the Wellness Forum Health Conference in Columbus, Ohio this past November, and we sat down and had a conversation about nutrition, about physical therapy, and about her favorite topic, how to be ageless. Eileen confessed that since she was very young, she has wanted to live to 120 in health, 
And I've got to say, I did not realize until I checked out her biography for writing the show notes for this episode that she's, in fact, 10 years older than I am. I assumed we were contemporaries, or maybe she was even a little bit younger. So clearly, what she's doing is working. So without further ado... Eileen Kapsoftis, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Hi, Howard. How are you? Really well. So it's great to be with you. Here we're at the uh, Wellness Forum Health Convention Conference. Conference. Conference yes. in uh, in Columbus. So I'm uh, I'm really digging the the live interactions. We met here last year, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated. First of all, you like cured a whole bunch of my aches and pains in about <laughs> in about 45 minutes. But I think we'll t- we'll talk about that another day. What I want to talk about okay. with you today is your work on. Uh, helping Eileen people Kipsoftis, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and Hi, Howard. Well. How are you? Yes. Really yes. well. So, so it's great before, to be before with we get you into that, We're at the uh, Wellness Forum yourself. Health. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Uh, well, you said my name beautifully, Eileen Kipsoftis. I'm a physical therapist, manually trained, which means I uh, put my hands on you and work on you instead of watching you from across the room. Uh, which is conventional more often than not. And I'm also trained in nutrition education, health education through Wellness Forum Institute. And I found that that's a huge component of what I do now as a PT because food definitely affects people's body and creates pain much more than people are aware of. So that has made a big difference in my practice. Hmm. That's that's fascinating. And I'm wondering, um, are we going to get to talk about that in the conversation about aging? That's a huge part of it. Oh, good. Yes. So, so yes. I won't, I won't uh, chase that rabbit just now. Okay. Okay, good. Um, so you're trained as, as a PT, as a physical therapist, mm-hmm. and you do all these sort of hands-on modalities, and you do a bunch of things like, like melt and yes. various other things that I, I knew once and have forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get interested in what really is a very far afield mm-hmm. um, this idea of, of, of food and health and other aspects um, aside from just sort of the musculoskeletal manipulation well when I was younger when I was very little I wanted to be a doctor and then as I aged I realized that I wasn't in love with the medical model which is treating symptoms but not restoring health so I did a lot of research on my own over the years and came across very good information that what we put in our mouths greatly affects our health. So my plan was to become a nutritionist. Unfortunately, when I researched the current study in that field, I completely disagreed with what they were teaching. I was a little ahead of my time. Back then they were teaching the four food groups. Nobody uh-huh. does that anymore. And so I realized if I keep arguing and disagreeing with my professors, I will probably fail the course. <laughs> so I decide, uh, So when I was looking through the catalog and they had the physical therapy program in the same catalog, I, I thought, this is for me. I love the human body. I've always been fascinated with anatomy and how we function, physiology. And so uh, every time I called the college to ask questions about that particular program, it was like they were trying to talk me out of it. They kept saying, oh, it's a very challenging program. And I'm the kind of person, when you say challenge, I put my horns on and I'm stamping my feet because I'm the bull who sees red. Uh (laughs) So challenge was it for me. And it was a challenge. I was a single mom working my way through school. So, um, but I did it. I love it. Uh, I was introduced to some amazing people very early in my career who were manually skilled and they guided me. I had mentors. I was very blessed. I had mentors who aimed me toward techniques that were extremely effective and steered me away from things that were a waste of time. 
And so right from the start, my first five years practicing, I probably took, oh my gosh, uh, I averaged five or six two to three day seminars a year. And most therapists would do one a year. And at that time, it wasn't required. There was no continuing education required at all. I had some colleagues who had been PTs for 20 years and had never taken a course since college. And they were doing some pretty scary things with their patients because they completely lacked the knowledge. So um, yeah, mm. it, it was, but it was, every time I learned something new, there was that many more people I could help. So it, mm. it really gave me the best job satisfaction on the planet. So I'm curious about what you thought about nutrition or what mm -hmm. you knew about mm -hmm. nutrition and where, where you came up with it. Because okay. if this, you know, I remember the four basic food groups. This was like the, the 70s and 80s. Yes. And, yes. Yes. you know, how, where did you get your crazy mm -hmm. ideas mm -hmm. that were different from that? Well, I'm, I'm a big reader. I, I, the only addiction I will admit to is knowledge. So I'm constantly seeking out things. And if, if it looks foolish, I ignore it, but if it looks like there's something to it, I do more research. My oldest daughter was having chronic ear infections when she was younger, and it made no sense to me. I couldn't understand why she kept having these ear infections, and, and no one seemed to have an answer. I came across a book, and I don't remember his first name, but it was a Dr. Smith, which I know is a very common name. Uh, it might have been William, but I'm not sure. And this was, oh my gosh, 30 years ago. I came across this book, and it related dairy products to chronic ear infections in children. And so it made sense to me. It was worth trying. It wasn't like I was going to take her, you know, and, and stick her in a closet and, and not feed her. I just removed dairy from her world, and she stopped having ear infections. So that was my first introduction to how food affects the body in a negative way, hmm. and uh, certain foods anyway. So I, I bought a nutrition almanac. I started studying what foods, you know, what nourishment they each provide, what um, the lack in the body can create. And, uh, and, and I really became fascinated with that. Started really changing my own diet. And, um, and then, lo and behold, many years later, Wellness Forum Institute was born. I was already a Wellness Forum member. I received the email stating that the institute was beginning. And it was the first nutrition educator program on the planet that I'm aware of that taught the relationship between food and disease and how to reverse disease with food without medications, drugs, or surgery. And it's not a food industry supported program, so there's no bias. It's all science-based evidence. And so I said, this is for me. And I can't get enough of it. The, the classes are amazing, and the knowledge has helped my patients beyond recognition. I, I hear Almost every week I have one of my patients telling me, you know, they went back, their A1C levels, they're no longer in a danger zone, so they're no longer a borderline diabetic, they're, they're off their medication, they've lost 30 pounds, they don't have joint pain. I've had people in their 80s eliminate joint pain by changing their diet. This one couple, they're from Denmark, and she calls it my regimen. When I follow your regimen, I have no joint pain. So um, mm. I, I just see the results uh, in the people who apply what they learn. And there's the rub. Not everybody applies what they learn. Mm. So I'm, I just uh, made a note to come back to that. Mm -hmm. But um, So you, you looked at, at the, 
the dietitian world and you mm -hmm. said, no, I'm going to be uh, locking horns with those people too often. Mm -hmm. So you then looked at physical therapy. Yes. But at the same time, physical therapy to me as an outsider doesn't seem that different in that there's a mainstream that isn't doing things that are particularly effective or based on evidence. Is, is, is that a mischaracterization? Well, the whole science-based evidence thing can be a tricky topic. I was just discussing this the other day with a colleague. Uh, it's now a DPT program, Doctorate of Physical Therapy. I, you know, I'm grandfathered in. I'm back in the years where it was a bachelor degree. Mm. And um, so, so now they're requiring these students. I, I saw this one student who was working heavily on a project where he had to support using science-based evidence for every single portion of his plan of care for this patient. It's, it's kind of a quicksand thing because everything that I do with patients that works has not necessarily been supported in science-based evidence. A, a human being is so unique and the, all of the dynamics involved in their world and their environment is going to make any real studies very, very difficult to do. You, I mean, you can't take people and not treat them when they're in pain. It wouldn't be ethical. So you're not going to get a control group. It's going to be very challenging to really get science-based evidence when it comes to a lot of the manual techniques, the things that truly help people. Mm. So, so that it's, that's huh. kind of a challenge. Is that different, in your opinion, from from nutrition? Because yes. because one of the things I hear from a lot of colleagues and friends who aren't necessarily in the plant-based world is, well, everybody's different, there's bio-individuality, mm -hmm. and the same diet that works for me won't necessarily work for you. Mm. That is different because there has been a huge and still continues to be a huge body of evidence regarding how particular foods affect the human body. We all do have a human body. We all have hearts, we all have lungs, we all have kidneys, we all have you know the same organ function. And what happens to our bodies based on diet has been seen for hundreds of years. Um, and my favorite study is the China study. I believe that was the most momentous study ever done on a population of people, huge population of people for a very, very long time. And it has been supported over and over and over and over by other studies. So uh, I know that if I take 10 people and they're all on the standard American diet, the odds are that nine out of 10 of them are gonna have some kind of a chronic degenerative disease. You may have one person who can live however they want and they'll live a long age and fall and die in their sleep in their 90s, but there are people who survive driving into a brick wall at 50 miles an hour too, but I wouldn't try it. Mm. So <laughs> the odds are against it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. You got interested in, in aging. Yes. So how, how did that come about? Yes, yes. Well, I was doing a series of talks for a particular company. And uh, I was trying to find a topic that I thought everyone would find interesting. And obviously, aging is always a very interesting topic. So I started doing a little more research. And I loved how food really plays a huge role. And there are specific areas of aging that affect most people based on their diet and lifestyle. And there are chronic degenerative diseases that tend to not get a hold of people until they're in their 50s, maybe 60s. It's happening younger and younger now because the diet is even more horrendous uh, at young ages. 
So what I found was that these disease rates were much less in populations that did not eat like we Americans do or the Western world. So what, for example, what are some of these degenerative conditions? Uh, osteoarthritis. Osteoarthritis is the number one disabling condition in our country. Okay, and, and define that for us. Osteoarthritis is an inflammation of the joints. It can happen anywhere in the body. It's the most common reason where people will have a total knee replacement or a total hip replacement. Now people are getting shoulder replacements. Uh, they're, even, they're even doing some research into elbow replacements now, which are quite complicated. Oh, so we're, so. we're, get, we're getting bionic, huh? Yes, we are. We are. Mm -hmm. But mm. I think holding on to my own joints is a better option. Mm. So, yeah. And food directly causes that inflammatory condition directly. And particularly what kinds of foods? Uh, well, the, uh, there are several reasons. Uh, a high fat diet, and it doesn't matter what kind of fat it is, and I know a lot of people will be shocked to hear this, but olive oil does the same thing to our circulation that butter and bacon does. <laughs> so it damages the endothelial cells in the lining of the blood vessels, and those little cells have a job of keeping the vessels opened up they produce something called nitric oxide and they dilate the vessels. So when you damage those poor little cells, you now have blood vessels not dilating, they're constricting, getting smaller, which will increase blood pressure. Um, also when they get damaged, it'll create gaps in the blood vessel wall. And when you get a gap in, in the, the lining, which is the endothelial cells, you get a gap in that lining. Now all heck breaks loose. You've got your immune system going nuts because those cells should not be hitting the, the blood vessel wall. And so you'll get plaque built up. You'll get all kinds of things happening. And that's why people are having heart attacks and strokes and, okay. and all kinds of things. So help, help me draw the line between those effects and osteoarthritis. Oh, yes, sorry. So what happens is you, you decrease your circulation. Anything that decreases the circulation will affect the body. Joints are just like anything else, including the spine. A lot of people have back pain because of lumbar artery disease. I was just at the PCRM conference this summer, and Dr. Lena Capilla uh, has done some wonderful work for decades and published a lot of articles regarding this issue. And when your lumbar arteries are blocked, partially blocked, uh, and not providing enough nutrition to the spine, enough blood supply to the spine, you now, this will literally relate to degenerative disc disease and uh, all of those things that create back pain. Mm. So, Actually, we don't think of blood flowing through I know. bones and, I know. I know. And, and spinal columns and yes, things yes. like that, but I guess it does, yes. right? Most people, when they think about their circulation, they're only concerned about their heart, cardiovascular disease, that's the biggest term, uh, or having a stroke, their brain. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, nobody thinks about that with chronic back pain. But there's a huge correlation to lumbar artery disease and chronic back pain. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that artery disease is directly related to food. And so the inflammation, um, the fats will decrease the circulation. Another thing is um, the inflammatory process. Your immune system is constantly repairing. You know, we always have micro damage going on in our bodies related to many things. And so there's a repair process going on consistently. But it's, it knows how to shunt itself, to turn itself off when the diet is correct, when lifestyle is correct. And when you are eat, consuming huge amounts of animal foods, and you don't necessarily need to be 100% vegan, but if you are eating animal foods consistently, especially those high protein, low carb diets, 
um, you are getting so many animal foods in your body, they're very high in something called arachidonic acid. And arachidonic acid promotes the inflammatory process. So any repair process going on in the body will go into overdrive and it won't shunt, it won't turn itself off. So you're promoting this, this chronic inflammation happening in the body consistently and it just doesn't stop. Mm. And that can create a great deal of joint pain and all kinds of other things. Is that also related to the phenomenon of molecular mimicry? Well, no, that would have to do with a leaky gut, intestinal permeability. And what happens is you, different foods, high fat foods, um, animal foods, um, a lot of things people do, NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, like Advil. ibuprofen and Advil and all those things, aspirin, um, those will damage the lining of the digestive tract. And when the lining gets damaged, part of your food will end up in your bloodstream. And that's not meant to happen. Food is supposed to enter one end, exit the other end, and never enter your bloodstream. You're only supposed to be absorbing the nutrition from the food. So what happens when that gets damaged is the uh, food particles, partially undigested food particles or, or whatever, will end up in the bloodstream. And now the immune system goes crazy. It says, red alert, red alert, something's here that doesn't belong. And so it wants to take care of the problem. And then the molecular mimicry is when those food particles look like cells of the body. Mm -hmm. So they mimic each other. And, uh, and when you think about it, we are people with muscles, which are made up of proteins. And when we eat animal foods, we're eating muscles that are made up of proteins. So needless to say, those cells look like our cells and the body will start mm -hmm. to attack itself thinking that it missed something mm -hmm. when it went around to protect us. Gotcha. So that, but that's not, that's not related to what you're talking about around um, the musculoskeletal. That's more related to autoimmune issues. Uh -huh. That typically is what triggers those. Okay. Yes. Uh, but there's another, there's an autoimmune arthritis. Yes, rheumatoid arthritis. And that can right. be directly related to a leaky gut uh, and molecular mimicry. Okay. Yes. So what's the, what's the difference in, 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 a, in etiology and in a patient's experience of rheumatoid versus osteoarthritis? Osteoarthritis is not the body attacking itself, it's an inflammation. An autoimmune right. issue is the body's attacking itself. Mm -hmm. Do they feel different? Yes, they feel very different. Osteoarthritis is stiffness, generalized achiness, uh, it may be worse in particular joints of the body, and usually you'll wake up in the morning and be very, very stiff, and then after you get moving around, you'll feel a little better. Mm -hmm. Rheumatoid arthritis is a completely different animal. You will have severe joint pain. It will move around in the body. Sometimes certain joints are worse than others, and nothing you do will alleviate the pain. You can become so incapacitated that you literally can't, um, your wrist won't bend. You can't open a doorknob uh, yeah. or, or pick up an object. Gotcha. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what, what are some of the ways that uh, physical therapists deal with these types of joint pain when they don't have nutritional knowledge, when they're, when they're doing what they were taught in PT school? Well, unfortunately, and, and this is one of the things that uh, I tend to get pretty passionate about, because of their lack of education and the fact of how nutrition affects the body, they're, they're treating people conventionally. So typically a lot of modalities will be used, hot packs, cold packs, maybe some ultrasound for some deep heat, which only recently has started having some real studies done that prove it does anything at all, by the way. 
uh, it was used for decades and there was no efficacy studies at all. They just, it was all theoretical. It creates mm -hmm. this deep heat below the surface, one to three centimeters, and you know, it must do, be doing something. Mm. <laughs> so it's only recent they've been doing some good studies with that. Uh, so so anyhow, do, do, and it does seem to work? Uh, it, it depends, and I think sometimes it's more a placebo effect mm. than anything. I used to have some patients come in many years ago, oh, this neck problem comes and goes. They just do some ultrasound and some heat and I'm better. So I'm thinking, well, you know, just stay home and do some heat, and <laughs> mm -hmm. why don't we look and see what's causing the problem? But um, so what happens is typically uh, if you went into a conventional PT, you would get a hot pack, you would probably get generalized exercises dependent on the joint. For instance, if it's your right knee, they would give you exercises for your right knee. So basically they're beating up the victim huh. and not finding the, the cause. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you, 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 you and I have talked about that before, the, the idea of the victim, specifically about my own body when I, when I came to you with my pains. Yes. So it, it just, it seems like a really obvious thing to do, like that hurts, mm -hmm. let's work on that. Mm -hmm. So you know, if you go to a massage therapist and you point out, well, here's where it hurts, they'll, they'll work on or as close to as, as, the, as the pain will allow. Yes. So what's wrong with that? Uh, map well the, the problem is you're not addressing the cause and it, you know it's it's an issue that we have in pretty much every field of the healthcare world we go after the symptom and I'll give you an example and this will maybe help explain it I had a gentleman come in to me one time he, he had had about nine treatments of conventional PT which means he'd had ultrasound and hot pack and he had neck pain so his exercises were doing neck range of motion now, I've never understood if it hurts to turn your neck, why turning your neck would fix it, but this is the conventional PT thought. So he, come, he ends up on my schedule, and uh, I have to be very careful and craft my words carefully so that I'm, I'm explaining things to him correctly. And when he explained to me that he had made no changes, no improvement, nothing had changed his symptoms, I said, well, do you mind if we do something different? Because I certainly wasn't going to do hot pack ultrasound massage. That I know that's useless. So... He said, sure, he just wanted to get better. So I looked at his lower spine because the neck is very much involved with the back. The spine is one piece of anatomy, by the way. There's no, there's no spots in your spine. If you look on the x-ray where there's this big line that says, okay, the thoracic spine stops and here's the lumbar spine. You know, it all but they're, but they're numbered. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're numbered. They're, they're, you mean they're not, they're, not, they're not numbered inside my body? <laughs> no, they're not. We've numbered them. Uh, the same thing with the muscles, not to get off track, but you actually have one muscle separated by 700 compartments of connective tissue. So, um, but we treat each muscle independently and that's not how our bodies function. So anyhow, this gentleman was open to me. I looked at his low back, a couple of little things which I corrected, but I didn't think that was the, the culprit. So I, because my training is very eclectic and very different, I, I questioned him, when are you getting your neck pain? And he said in the mornings when he did his morning walk, that was his favorite exercise. So I'm thinking how on earth can walking aggravate the neck? And I know from my training that if you do not have a good heel strike, and you don't have a good what's called dorsiflexion, which is lifting the toes up on the foot and landing on the heel, it will create a strain up the back of the leg, the calf, the hamstring, up the back, and can end up in the neck. So I asked him if he ever had any ankle sprains, because that's a common reason for not having good dorsiflexion. And he explained to me, oh, I had constant ankle sprains when I was in college. So I looked at his ankles. He had no dorsiflexion on either ankle. I did some gentle mobilization to the ankles to restore the motion. 
And that was the only time I saw him. He never came back because he was cured. He had no more neck pain when he took his morning walks. So his culprit was his ankles and lack of dorsiflexion. The neck was the victim. And so you could have treated the neck until the cows came home, but that man was not going to get better. Hmm. So. so so, what are, let's, let's, let's name names here. Mm-hmm. So what are, before we get into the whole food and lifestyle component, just we're, just we're in, the, in the PT world, mm-hmm. what are the, the modalities, the methods that are in alignment with that, with, with that sort of thinking of finding root causes? Because everyone mm-hmm. I've ever talked to has their own theory. They all think they're, they're getting to the root cause. Yes. So yes. What, what's, yes. What, you know, let's name names. What works and what doesn't? Okay. Well, there are particular techniques that are very good. But what I've found is no one technique fixes all. Clinicians that are very gifted and very skilled and are, have a, a huge, a very high efficacy of treating their patient population are the ones who are eclectically trained. They use more than one technique. So uh, one of my favorites is called muscle energy technique. And what that does is that helps to restore joint function. So for instance, if um, your pelvis is not aligned correctly, maybe your SI joints are a little uh, uh, malaligned, the right SI might be forward, the left SI might be forward. That's just for... for, Sacroiliac joint. Right, so if all my Sports Illustrated fans are wondering... (laughs) Yes, it's a sacroiliac joint. It's where the hip bone meets the sacrum, which is that upside-down triangle at the bottom of the spine, and the point Mm -hmm. is the tailbone. So where the hip bone meets the sacrum is your SI joint, and that's notorious for creating a lot of problems. Uh, so I typically will begin there on someone who has pain, even if they're a shoulder patient, a knee patient, a hip patient. I, I will always clear the, clear the pelvis and make sure things are right because the pelvis is the foundation of the body. And if the foundation isn't correct, nothing above it or below it can be. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little bit confused about about what the root cause is because I've gone to chiropractors Mm -hmm. and they will like move things around like they'll measure and look at things excuse me and they'll say okay well this is out of alignment and they'll Mm -hmm. do some sort of adjustment and put it back in alignment but it never fixes anything because like the bones themselves were innocent right they didn't Mm -hmm. all of a sudden Mm -hmm. wake up one morning and go well let me Yes. Let me yes, torque. Yes. So, so how can how do you know that you've like you you said you cleared this guy's ankles or mm-hmm. you're, you're you're clearing the 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 pelvic bowl? Mm-hmm. How do you know that you're getting at a root as opposed to another symptom? Well, typically they won't have symptoms there. So uh, you know you're not treating the symptom. You're looking mm-hmm. for the cause. So each person is unique. Obviously, I get a full history. I find out any accidents they've had, surgeries they've had, their lifestyle, what kind of job do they have, uh, if they have a real repetitive job that they're doing, stressful job. And, um, and so I, I've been doing this for 20 years. So instinctively, I kind of know where I think the problem may be. Obviously, looking at them postural balance-wise, I see if one shoulder is higher than the other, if one hip is higher than the other. I'm looking for what's causing this asymmetry. Now, no person is completely symmetrical side to side. If you look at your face in the mirror and you cover one side, you look like two different people when you're looking at the right and the left, because we're human beings, we're not machines. But the closer we are to symmetry, the, the less pain we're gonna develop in our life. So, so each person is very unique. It's difficult to just say, you know, well, I always do this to fix that. Because you could have two people come in 
with, um, say two people come in with trochanteric bursitis, which is an inflammation in the bursa on the outside of the hip. Those two people can come in with the same diagnosis and have a completely different reason why they have it. So it, it, it's, it's sort of impossible to answer that question intelligently. Sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, well, so it's, it, it sounds like this, the, the key is this eclectic training. Yes. And, and, it, and a, uh, a mindset that, that looks for, for root causes. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, so it sounds like for a lot of people, the root causes was an old injury or something that, that created a, an imbalance or a kind of a cheat Mm-hmm. In, in, in a in their in their posture or musculature, so how how are there are there ways in which you can influence it and so it goes away like this guy's ankle or or just to sort of like play with it but you but you know what I'm saying like you, you mm-hmm. can still you can find the place where the problem is and still create a temporary solution. So how do you know how do you know that you've um, yes well it? his his symptoms were his neck. And I know from my training that if you don't have good dorsiflexion, that will create a strain up the body. Right. What I'm asking so, is, like, how, how did you know, you know, how, how do you deal with the ankle so that the, the problem of dorsiflexion doesn't return? Oh, gotcha. Well, typically, when a joint is mobilized, it will maintain the range of motion that you've gained. Okay. And because what, so what, it was the injury that lost the motion. Uh-huh. So unless he injures himself again, it should stay corrected. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and what do you mean by mobilization? A mobilization is uh, where you take the joint and you reestablish the range that it needs to have. It's usually a low force, high velocity thrust. Um, it's not really a manipulation, which is what chiropractors are trained in. A lot of PTs are trained in manipulation as well. I'm not a big fan of manipulation. Um, there's a lot of conflicting evidence regarding manipulation and what it actually is doing to the body. So I tend to go, I like the more gentler techniques. Mobilization means that I'm, I'm using low force and yet getting realignment and correction. That's why I love muscle energy because it's a sub-maximal contraction. The person will do the slightest contraction, but I have them in a very specific position when they do that contraction. So Mm. their own muscle is actually realigning their body. It sounds a little like magic. (laughs) <laughs> Especially to those of us who grew up in sort of a, the, the military model of, mm-hmm. of the body. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to stretch mm-hmm. the heck out of this muscle. Yes. Right. Yes. I'm going to yes. go to the chiropractor who's going to like twist my neck so far that I mm-hmm. feel like I'm in the exorcist. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like no pain, no gain. Yes. Yes. That's not something you believe in, is it? No. No. The only time therapy should ever hurt is because you just had a joint replacement and now you're required to put weight on it as it's healing. So that would be painful. Uh, typically, when someone has an injury or a chronic pain pattern, the last thing I want them to do is to hurt. However, if they are, if they've been sedentary for 20 years and they have to get moving, they are going to have to suck it up a little and deal with a little bit of pain because their body just needs to get through it. So, so that again, that's very unique to the person. Uh, I typically, you know, that magic pain scale of zero to ten. I typically will tell people I don't want your pain to go much over a three when you're doing your home exercise program. If it's over a three, we need to revisit it and see what's happening. Um, another one of my favorite things that I use is called uh, chain reaction, 
and it's through the Gary Gray Institute, and it's based on applied functional science. And I was certified in that a couple of years ago because that is a movement education that is in complete alignment with my training as a manual therapist. Again, you're looking for the, the cause and not going after the victim. For instance, if someone is having knee pain going up and down the stairs, 99% of the time their hip is not performing correctly. So I will give them an exercise plan that will get that hip to perform correctly in all three planes of motion. And once that happens, voila, their knee pain is no longer an issue because your knee is a very simple hinge joint. It only bends one way. Mm. And it's, it's sort of a victim stuck between the hip and the ankle. And so if the hip and the ankle aren't performing correctly, the knee is what is complaining the loudest. Wow. So the knee is like the, the kid in the family that's getting a divorce. Exactly. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. yes. Stuck Poor in the knee. middle. And come on, mom and dad, can you work together here? Because this is causing me pain. Oh, yes. Dear. Poor yes. knee. Uh, let's, let's get back to the, um, the aging. Mm -hmm. so, okay. so, how, so let's take us back to when you decided that that was a real interest and what mm. your experience has been. Okay. Well, what I found, I have this deep passion that I've been speaking since I was a teenager that I'm going to live to at least 112 and be happy about it. Huh. And I want as many people to, that, I, that I can to have the same thing. I lost two brothers in their 40s, one to cancer, one to heart disease. Mm -hmm. And so I know, um, you know, no one should end their life that early, especially leaving family behind. And so it's my passion to help as many people as possible to never have that tragedy happen in their own world, in their own families. And I know that it's completely preventable. And all of the science that I have been educating myself in now for a long time bears that out. Uh, you know, I've had patients who were in their 90s. Uh, I did home care for 10 years. And when I would go to their home, uh, the ones who were still active, still, I mean, 100 years old, shopping, driving, cleaning their own house, doing their own laundry, taking care of their own um, bills, you know, and managing their own money, you would be shocked at how many people are, are at that age still doing that. But it's not the norm. And so there's the rub. It's like, how can we make this the norm? Hmm. And so that's one of my passions. So when I see things in the news about aging and longevity, occasionally I'll see a story. You know, we're going to live. We're going to eventually. We're going to be living to two hundred and three hundred, and we're going to you know have replaceable limbs, and you know our brains are going to be bathed every night in in, in solution, and they're going to figure out the, the, all the genetic. Mm -hmm. It's 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 a very high tech. Um, worldview. Mm -hmm. That's not what you're talking about, is it? No, no. What I'm talking about is learning how to nourish your body correctly and how to care for your body correctly so that you can have the highest quality of life as long as you're above ground. And that's mm. the key. But the, we're talking about the science of aging mm -hmm. and that a lot of it is very sort of science fiction-y. Yes. But... You, you've discovered that there are ways that we can take care of ourselves mm -hmm. that, that would make living to 100 not a, an anomaly, right? Correct. Correct. Um, I think I had talked about how you know, many people are, are living up 100 and independent and doing all the things on their own. When I was doing home care, I would, I would constantly, obviously, look around a home to see what was the difference between this person who was in their 90s and was independent prior to a, a small medical illness? Maybe they had a short bout of pneumonia, and that might not be small, but 
um, they, they were independent prior to the illness and then regained their independence as soon as they recovered from the illness, which is not the case for people who have lots of chronic degenerative disease, comorbidities, which means they have multiple diagnoses, um, a whole shoebox full of medications, those people tend to not recover very quickly. And so when I was in those people's homes, I would notice that their dining room table would be covered with sugary donuts and pastries and all of these treats and cookies and, and, and stuff like that. And then the, the patients that I saw that were very independent and, and functioning well in life up to very old ages, I would see a bowl of fresh fruit on their counter. And I would, so I would start to ask them, you know, how, how do you eat? What do you eat? And those people always had a good amount of plant food in their life, those that were well into their 90s and beyond. So I saw this correlation in my own practice. Uh, and, and it's all borne up by research as well. Uh, the goal is if you give your body what it needs it will respond. We have a heal and repair process that is ongoing all the time. And our bodies really are not designed to fall apart somewhere at the magic age of 45 or 50. And then it's the pharmaceutical's job to hold us back together or glue us together <laughs> as long as we're above ground. That's not really how our bodies are designed. They're designed to function well as long as we're breathing. And so we just need to provide what they need. And what they need is lots of antioxidants, lots of phytonutrients, and those are all in plants. You will not get those things from animal foods. Uh, you know, the plants aren't loaded with fat. Some plants can be high in fat, but typically, your typical plant is, is very low in fat, anywhere from 1% to, I think, cauliflower is 11% calories from fat. And so, it's just a better way for the body. It's, you get all the fibers, so now you're going to be regular. A lot of people have issues because they're chronically constipated. Um, and we're not even talking irritable bowel disease and those things, which is a whole other story. But aging, if you provide what the body needs, you will not go through what we tend to think of as a natural phase of aging, which is disease. And if you look up the definition of disease, the definition of disease is an impairment an abnormal functioning. So if it's an impairment and it's abnormal, why do we consider that's okay as we age? <laughs> why do we think that, oh, well, you know, and, and a lot of patients will come in to see me and, you know, they'll have knee pain or they'll have back pain or they'll have some pain. And the doctor will tell them, well, you are getting older, you know, or you are 78, you know, or you are 82, you know, as if that's just a given that as you age, you're meant to suffer. And it's not true. Hmm. Well, it almost—it almost sounds like when you put it that way, that f wanting to be healthy in your 70s, 80s, and beyond is, is, is some sort of like unrealistic, immature entitlement, mm. as opposed to a birthright. Yes, yes. It's well. I think what has happened in our world as we equate disease to aging, it's there's an equal sign, and it's. One of my favorite ways to put it is it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. We're, we're not designed to develop disease and age in misery. We don't have to. We have a choice. I think the problem with most people is, is there, there's so much information out there. I mean, not only is this, this might be the information age, but I think it's the misinformation age as well. There's a lot of people out there that are selling their opinions um, you know, a lot of bestsellers out there that are not really grounded in, in good science 
And so people are very confused. And if you're getting your medical information or your health information from a newspaper or a magazine, you are going to be sadly misinformed. I don't care who the author is. You know, it's just craziness. You, you need to be seeking sound information. And so what you do is you look for um, businesses or organizations that have proven themselves. And, and I look at it this way, you know, the proof is in the pudding. What is their, what is their success rate? John, Dr. John McDougall, for instance, you know, for 30 or 40 years, he's been healing people. His favorite statement is, is I'm the luckiest doctor on the planet because my patients get well. <laughs> he gets them off medication. He helps them to reverse their disease. And he's been doing this for 30 to 40 years. And he's a medical doctor. So, you know, the proof is there. There are many, many sound medical professionals who are doing the same thing. Dr. Neil Bernard, the founder of Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, uh, his, his practice, he, he helps people get well. He's written many books that are based on sound science that works. And that's the point. If you get information from someone, find out, does this work? Have you actually fixed anyone? Have you helped anyone get better? Well, we don't, we don't think about that. Mm -hmm. about, you know, we think about, well, does this doctor, you know, do they work? It's do I feel better? Mm -hmm. do they, are they writing me the scripts that I want? Mm -hmm. Do they give me more than three minutes mm -hmm. in, in, in their office before the next patient is called in? Um, you know, I was thinking about this when someone was telling me they changed to a plant-based diet and they went to see their doctor. And, and when I hear the story, I, I always brace for something. But this was a happy story. The doctor was like, you know, oh, this is great. Mm -hmm. Congratulations, you're doing great work. Oh, this is amazing. Look at this blood work. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. And then I got sad thinking like this doctor, this made this doctor's day that somebody got better. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, because it was unusual. It was, it was anomalous. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And unfortunately, I've, I've heard stories from people who say that the, the doctor was so impressed. And then the patient would say, well, do you want to know how I did it? And then the doctor loses interest. And, and I think what happens is, is they're inundated. I mean, to become a medical doctor requires an entire investment of your life. And people are becoming doctors because they want to help people. So I'm not here to attack doctors. It's the medical model that I struggle with. It's the way that they're trained that is, is the, should be the anomaly and not the norm. They're trained to go after the, <clears throat> the symptoms, to, um, to manage the, the blood biomarkers. Okay, you have high blood pressure, let's medicate that. You have high cholesterol, let's medicate that. And unfortunately, those medications do not reduce your risk of anything. When you look at the literature, Cholesterol medication reduces your risk by about 1.7% of having a stroke or a heart attack. And people don't know this because their cholesterol level goes down. And the doctor says, oh, you've got great blood work. This is wonderful. Keep it up. But the person still has the same risk of having a heart attack or a stroke as anybody on the planet. It doesn't reduce their risk. But their blood work looks great. So there's a huge disconnect. Right. So I know we only have a couple more minutes before your, your next uh, consult knocks on the door. Um, so I'm wondering, you have a, a book inside you, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you could give us a, a preview of like what, when, yes. when that book gets out into the world mm -hmm. and people open up their mailbox and, and, and they open it, what will they see? Well, the title of the book is You Can Be Ageless, and being ageless is about restoring 
quality of life or maintaining quality of life into your 90s and beyond. And I've broken it up into seven simple steps. And I call them simple steps because you don't need to be a PhD or read 10 books in order to be able to do the steps. And I've broken it up so that you have the simple step in one or two pages. And then for those people who are like myself and want lots more information, there's the technical side behind each step. So you can read eight to 10 pages on the technical side, but it's not required in order to apply the steps. Mm. And they're very, very basic for life. Um, obviously, you can fill an entire library with books that have been written on nutrition, so that's not the focus of the book. However, one of the chapters is definitely on nutrition with the basics that bring life. Um, one is on the importance of water, another the importance of breathing, uh, moving, sleeping, how to have joy in your life, and, and giving. So those are pretty much the basics. And that what I found through my research and, and my own patient practice and my own life, those steps are pivotal to having the life we all want, which is being mm -hmm. able to do what we want without pain, without limitations, and I mean, I'll never be an opera singer because I don't have that gift, but, um, but the things that we want to do, we shouldn't be limited because of pain or disease or illness, mm. no matter how old we are. Right. It, it says, as, as I look at the list that I just jotted down, um, it feels like there is a component that goes beyond the individual, mm -hmm. that there's a, there's a sort of a public health flavor mm -hmm. to things like joy, giving, that, that require community. Yes, very um, much so. I was just, somebody shared with me a, a video on YouTube about sort of old people in England and how lonely they are. Mm. And it was, you know, it was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And what I'm thinking of when I hear this is that it's incumbent upon us as we age, like, we, like when we were in our 80s and 90s is not the time to be starting to think about creating communities in which elders are are valued and incorporated. Mm -hmm. Like let's let's do let's do it now. I agree. Yes, definitely. Now is the time. Mm -hmm. And and so that when so that when we're 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 ninety and one hundred and twelve, we can still be you know vigorous. We haven't we haven't been um, painted as as without agency. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I enjoyed most when I did home care was, I love talking with people who are older. They have so much knowledge. They have so much life. They've had so much experience. They have so much to give. It's insane that they're stuck at home, ill, can't get out, and can't share what they have with the world. The, the amount of information and knowledge and passion that we're missing because of that component is very sad. Right. Well, as you said, we live in a misinformation age. I don't think mm -hmm. we need their information so much as their wisdom. Correct. Correct. Right. How they applied Yes, their knowledge. Right, and wisdom is cheap on the ground in our culture. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. it's not it's not highly valued. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I'm, I'm in the middle of a of a book called Beyond Words, which mm. is about um, how, how animals experience life, mm. and it's a scientific look. It's not it's not woo. -woo. And I'm in this the, sec the first section is about elephants, and they're mm -hmm. talking about like these elephant matriarchs in their 60s, who have the knowledge that helps the tribe survive. The, oh, wow. the, so that when when one of them is killed by a poacher, it's not just that person, that elephant who loses their life. The entire tribe 
mm-hmm. is, is bereft. They, they don't remember where you go when the drought is this bad, mm-hmm. where there's shade, where, you know. Right, and and right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm thinking about applying that to, yes, yes. to the human population yes. as well. That we're, and that, that just brings up a thought, breastfeeding. Right, that's such a natural thing. Well, my generation was mostly um, formula fed mm. because my parents' generation were taught that formula was better than breastfeeding. So when I wanted to breastfeed my children, I had no matriarch to teach me. Huh. I had to find one. Mm. So, yeah, knowledge can be lost. Right, and even you know, even things that, that sound as sort of biologically. Mm-hmm. Uh, imprinted on us, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm sure your babies knew what to do. Correct. They didn't have to be taught. No. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Well, I can't wait to see the book. Mm, so, I can't wait to finish it. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep everybody posted. Okay. And I just want to you know, personally thank you for the ways in which you've taught me to take care of my own body better. That's and, been my pleasure. And the ways in which you're, you're sharing this, this radiant positive information with the world. So Eileen Kapsoftis, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you, Howard. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast. If you're new to the show, you can find the archives at plantyourself.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. If you like the show and you'd like to help other people find out about it, you can do so by leaving a review on iTunes or Stitcher or by telling other folks about it on social media, in email, etc. In garden news, we've had to cover up the greens. The uh, cold weather finally reached us. It was in the 20s last night, and we're expecting another cold night tonight. So I was at the store with my son a couple hours ago, and we saw a big basket of black walnuts, locally grown black walnuts for sale for 10 bucks a pound. And I took a picture of it, and I had to laugh because we have a black walnut tree in our backyard, and it produces like crazy. And last year we harvested a lot, maybe 30 pounds of black walnuts, and we never figured out what to do with them. And so now I'm seeing them for $10 a pound, and I'm just shaking my head. So my wish for all of us is to look and see what we have that has great value that we may have overlooked until now. And as always, until next time, be well, my friends.